Hello everyone and welcome back to The Whole Tooth, a podcast all about sharks, rays and their underwater habitat brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. I hope you're all well wherever you may be in the world. I know we have listeners from all kinds of different places and for me that is so cool to think about. So thank you so much for all the messages and the reviews that you send in. We really do appreciate you taking the time to do that. And if you're new here, welcome. I am your host, Isla, and every episode I sit down with experts in marine science, conservation and storytelling to talk about sharks and the oceans. Please feel free to get in touch. Let us know if you have any questions you want us to answer, any topics you want us to cover, or just tell us where you're listening from or even what you're doing while you're listening. Um, We've had people write in who listen while they're doing lab work, while they're painting, or even walking the dog. So whatever you're doing, I'm happy to provide some company and a little bit of nerdiness to your day. This week's episode was actually recorded a few weeks ago at Wilds Green Film Festival in Bristol, which is in the southwest of the UK. Wilds Green is an international community that supports and brings together natural history storytellers from across the world, and the festival is a celebration of natural history storytelling, bringing together filmmakers, photographers, presenters, and lots of other creative professionals. This year, Save Our Seas was one of the principal sponsors, funding a headline talk by the guest of today's episode, Bertie Gregory, a panel session on telling stories about sharks without sensationalism, and the Impact Award, which recognised films that also deliver a tangible impact for conservation like policy or behaviour change. It was really cool to attend the full festival because storytelling is such a key part to science and conservation because that's what engages a wider audience with the issues facing the natural world and empowers people to do something about it. And my guest today knows a thing or two about that. Bertie Gregory is an award-winning filmmaker and wildlife cameraman who has worked on landmark BBC natural history series, including Frozen Planet and Seven Worlds, One Planet. He actually won a BAFTA for his work on this and is one of the youngest ever winners for cinematography. He has also produced and presented several series for National Geographic, including Wildlife and The Big Freeze. Now, you might have seen his face around a fair bit recently because he has just released his latest series for Disney+, Plus, Epic Adventures with Bertie Gregory. It follows Bertie around the world as he goes in search of some pretty extraordinary wildlife spectacles and takes you along with him through the challenges of filming nature in some of the most remote corners of the world. In this episode, we talk about filming epic adventures how to keep your cool when you're in the middle of some uh, pretty insane wildlife experiences, and how to tell stories about some of the issues facing the natural world with hope and optimism. Now, as you know, this is a shark podcast, so we do spend some time talking about Shark Island, an episode focused on filming shark aggregations in the Cocos Islands, which kind of sounds like a fictional place, to be honest. A pirate island surrounded by sharks, but I'll let Bertie tell you about that. He tells it much better than I do. We discussed his interactions with sharks in the episode, including scalloped hammerheads and tiger sharks, and how to film sharks safely and responsibly. Epic Adventures is now available on Disney+, and I would highly recommend watching the full series. It, of course, doesn't just feature sharks, but also whales in Antarctica, lions and crowned eagles in Africa, and dolphins in the high seas, so there's a little something for everyone. And if Disney isn't accessible to you, Bertie has so much content on YouTube as well, so go and check that out. 
This was a really fun chat made even better by the fact that we could do it in person. Because we are at the festival, there is a little bit of background noise, but don't worry, you can still hear us loud and clear. Bertie has some pretty insane stories to tell about his many adventures and also some great advice for any of you looking to make some films of your own. So I'll stop nattering on and let's dive in to our episode. Hello, Bertie Gregory, and welcome to the Whole Tooth Podcast. Thanks very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, I just, I'm just putting this out there. I feel really weird because this is not our usual setting to meet each other. Every single time we've met each other, we're on a boat or in a wetsuit, and I feel completely out of my natural habitat. <laughs> in the middle of a boat, nizzy, a nizzy, I was going to say a busy, noisy city, but said nizzy, a nizzy city, a noisy, busy city. There That's we go. It. Yeah, I can't get used to it. It's like, it's like actually being what I imagine people feel like when they go into the wild. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, it's every, you know, f- fear and, well, fear is all relative, right? It's what you're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like on, uh, on Epic Adventures in the Antarctic episode when I got in the water with a big leopard seal. Um, that looks, I think, to many people like it was very intimidating and scary. Yeah. And sure, it's a big, powerful animal and a, yeah. certainly intimidating. But I found that a lot less scary than, you know, walking down a busy street <laughs> surrounded by loads of crazy people. Um, like, it's all relative. It is, yeah. That leopard seal scene is insane, by the way. It's definitely like squeaky bum time for sure. <laughs> like, is it really interested in you? Like, it's not... I mean, like many animal, many predators, they're an ambush predator, right? So if it actually wanted yeah. to hunt you, uh-huh. you'd know nothing about it. It would come out of your blind spot and it would all be over very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they do when they're hunting penguins. Anytime that the, you, know, you can see one of them, it means their primary goal is not to hunt you because they're an ambush predator. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's still a big dangerous animal and it's curious, right? It's trying to figure out what you are. And um, you know, just like with sharks, yeah, they don't have hands, so if they want to figure out what a new object is, they bite it. Unfortunately, with a leopard seal, when it bites you, you know, its teeth aren't super sharp. It's a very powerful jaw, but its teeth aren't super sharp. And so, you know, they kind of mouth you, which is intimidating, but it's not trying to kill you. The problem that sharks have is that when they're trying to do a, you know, a curiosity bite, figure out what something is, a test bite, you've got very sharp teeth and your leg comes off. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, that that's a problem for the person whose leg yeah, has come right. off obviously is terrible but also a problem for the shark because you know they're they're getting really terrible publicity for a, a test that's it yeah you've brought up sharks like literally in the face so that was good minutes. that was good segue yeah, wasn't you it know yeah. which podcast <laughs> um but yeah so we like to start our podcast and end our podcast with the same question for every guest and you're no different but we usually ask this to scientists and they struggle with this question so i don't know how you're going to answer it um, but it is. What is your most memorable experience in the ocean? Uh, that's pretty easy. Um, oh, yeah? yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have some very cool experiences in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, the usually I have like one or two amazing ones a year. Mm-hmm. But Epic Adventures, because we're going on Epic Adventures, uh, there's just been loads and it's been crazy. Um, but certainly in the Antarctica episode... Uh, we went in search of these kind of mystical fin whale gatherings. So these mm-hmm. gatherings of these massive whales, second largest 
uh, animal on Earth, uh, you know, only a little shorter than the blue whale. And we ended up finding the biggest gathering ever filmed. There were 300 fin whales all together. Yeah. And there were, it wasn't just fin whales, there was a couple humpbacks in there, there was a southern right whale, um, there were thousands of penguins and tens of thousands of flying birds, things like Cape petrels and wandering albatross, black-headed albatross, gray, uh, black-browed albatross, gray-headed albatross, just like, oh, and uh, Antarctic fur seals, all in this massive <laughs> feeding party. Okay. And we filmed that from the air with a drone and from water level with a gyro-stabilized camera. But then, you know, you can't film a whale spectacle without filming what's going on underwater. So we got underwater. And when we first got in the water... Um, you know, the, there are very strict laws on how you approach species in Antarctica, especially the whales. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you c- kind of have to let stuff come to you. You can't go to it. So we kind of s- set up on the edge of the, the gathering. We dropped in. Uh, I was with a camera person called Dan Beecham. And we went yeah. down to about 10, 15 meters. Uh-huh. And we were basically back to back because like the vis wasn't brilliant it's probably 15 meter visibility and the whales could be 27 meters long so we're back to back like a scene out of a bad boys movie just waiting for like the baddies to come out come out the murk and what was amazing was that before we saw any whales um we saw the krill which were very cool they looked like little pixar characters floating around mm-hmm. but underneath us were i was gonna say hundreds but no thousands of antarctic rock cod which is a species of fish that you just don't you don't see because people don't dive in Antarctica really where they live. Yeah, sure. And they're about about I don't know a foot long, some of them bigger, quite chunky. And what was extraordinary was the number of them. Every time we we got in to to film the whales, there was just a carpet of them underneath us. Amazing. And they're typically uh, a pretty benthic species. And here they were at the surface in three hundred meters of water, feeding on the krill that the whales were feeding on. Like they must hear the whales calling, I guess, or, or the noise, or they have some way of detecting that the oh, krill... Smelling the krill. Uh, right, are aggregating yeah. at the surface, and yeah, they're coming up 300 metres off the bottom and, um, and smashing the krill at the surface. And it was like being on an alien planet, and that was before we'd even seen a whale. So yeah, we're under the water, and there's, there's just these fish everywhere, and we drop down to see them. We were probably at, I don't know, 20 metres to see them, and then they would kind of go in these waves they'd like disappear and then come up out the gloom uh-huh. and then a bunch of chin strap penguins zoom past all grabbing the krill <laughs> as they went past and like this is ridiculous oh, and yeah. then yeah this monster fin whale just came out the gloom and that was the beginning um you know that that right. just in itself was the most extraordinary thing i've seen underwater uh-huh. but that was just the start then we started to get passes of you know four even five whales at a time uh you know the humpback whales came over to uh-huh. to have a look at us it was just like mind explosion um yeah that's crazy and like one of the things that i love about epic adventures that we get to see your reaction to that because one of the things i've always wondered when i watch things like frozen planet and blue planet is like the people who are in the water filming that what does that feel like yeah like how how do you keep your cool because well you've been on the boat with me you know that i really struggle (laughs) to keep my cool in those kind of situations i don't even know what i would do and i think as a person watching that from home it's like really cool to like you said earlier like you've just done a talk for us as well but like you wanted people to experience that and see what it feel what it was like to sort of be in the water with you at that point yeah i guess the thing i have going for me in this those kinds of situations is you know i film with lots of different camera people and uh, everyone has a different reaction um some don't get 
excited you know they're really focused on mm. the the job and actually mm-hmm. that means that they're quite boring to film because you, <laughs> you well because they're not getting excited about it yeah, yeah. and then at the other end of the spectrum some people get very very excited and flustered and then they're not actually very good at they're freaking out and they're That'd not they're not actually very good at <laughs> filming the thing yeah. whereas i'm fortunate in that i'm kind of in the middle ground in that i feel like i'm quite expressive but I'm quite good at compartmentalizing things. Although I'm expressive with how excited I am, I'm good at just fo- like focusing and getting in, in the zone. Um, but that said, you'll see in the show, in some of the episodes, mm-hmm. there are times, especially when the action's really nuts, that <laughs> I'm very quiet and not excited. And it's because I'm concentrating yeah. so hard on trying to capture the thing. And actually, you know, People often ask, oh, you know, that must have been amazing to see. Mm-hmm. And really, in, in the case of underwater, that's that's true because everything generally everything's very close. But often with the drone, you know, I'm, I'm 500 meters away from, from the action. So it's actually quite disconnecting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so actually at the time, it's not that much of really of a wildlife experience because I'm seeing what you're seeing but through a monitor and often the signal's a bit rubbish so it's just like a crackly screen and the more you know the more crazy the the wildlife encountered the more stressful it is to do justice to it and so a lot of it is type two fun you know type one fun is fun at the time type two fun is is fun afterwards Mm -hmm. um so so yeah i'd i'd say that yeah and like as a diver as well like one of the things i'm quite I just can't imagine like you've got so much going on when you're diving because not only are you you're using a rebreather and you're obviously having to do all the normal things that we have to do which is like navigate currents and try not to whack into coral and all that kind of stuff but you're also filming and then for this you've also got for some of presenting them, yeah you've got the face mask on it's a whole nother diving you've got to learn to dive again really like it's yeah it's there's a lot going on safety wise as well because you get mm. you can get co2 pockets you've got to flush the mask all that stuff i i think i mean that's task loading right mm. um and that can be potentially dangerous uh, and I think the key thing is that you get good at all the things independently. Mm-hmm. So when you put them all together, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, and because if you're concentrating on the technology that you're using, you're not concentrating on the animals. I mean, again, the leopard seal is a good example. Yeah. You know, filming, using that face mask, very cold Antarctic waters, and there's a leopard seal. That's, four, five, that's five things going on at once. Mm-hmm. And if you were concentrated... You know, I've dived in cold conditions before, yeah. so I'm used to that. Get rid of that. I've used a face mask a lot before. Mm-hmm. Get rid of that. I filmed a lot, so I can get rid of that. And so, really, it means that you focused on the leopard seal and the talking. Well, the talking, it's all about preparation. Yeah. You know, knowing about the animal and thinking about the types of things you might want to say, so that the only thing really you have to think about, because you can go into autopilot for all of that, mm-hmm. is what's the leopard seal doing? Because if you weren't if, if you weren't comfortable on the other four things, you wouldn't be focused on the leopard seal. Yeah. And that's when bad things happen because although that animal is not trying to eat you, it's still a big, powerful predator mm. and it's not fair on it for you to be focused on something else. Because they're a predator, they're totally aware of what you're doing. In the show, we show that they, they sneak up behind you the whole time <laughs> and they know if you're distracted. Like, they know if you're focused on something else and that is when they'll... Yeah. You know the bit when... It comes around the side of my camera and bumps me oh, on the yeah, shoulder. Like a right. So the reason that it did that was mm. the whole time I was following it with the camera, right? Yeah. Always the camera was between me and it. Uh-huh. And it was curious in the camera. But you could tell, like, it wants to know what all of you is. 
And the one time that I was like, I wonder what happens if I don't follow it with the camera. And I let it go past. And because I just wanted to look at it rather than looking at it on a camera. Yeah. And I, low, I, I was following it and I just lower the camera and I look at it just with my eyes. Mm-hmm. And immediately you can see in the show, it goes, huh, camera's not in the way anymore. What are you? And it just went boop on the shoulder. And it was like, whoa, yeah. okay, that was a real shock. Yeah, proper stealth boop. A stealth boop. Is that yeah. the technical term? Yeah. I like it. I'm going to use that. Yeah. It, you can almost see it. it's like, oh, I'm going to... I'm gonna have fun with this guy, right? Um, and it doesn't look—it doesn't look menacing. It doesn't look malicious at all. I mean, it could have done that with an open mouth, and then yeah, well, it'd be you a different see that story. on your camera. Like, it's got its mouth open on your camera, and you can see all the teeth and stuff. Yeah. Now I'm sure it, after it had booped me there, it, it was getting more and more excited, and more and more—I mean, excited is a human term—but more and more curious and fired up. It was when we first got in. It's interesting how leopard seals. You know, I've now dived with quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. They're all different personalities, and that one is actually the best leopard seal for filming that I've ever dived with, in that it's curious enough that it comes close enough to film it, but it doesn't want to... Some of the leopard seals you get in with, and they just want to be all up in you, and you can't actually film them because they're just all over you. Um, But that one, it was getting more and more fired up, and after it booped, it then got a bit more excited, and that was why me and Dan went, it's time to get out. Not because it was going to eat us, but just because... If it then started doing that with its mouth open, mm. yeah, you just don't want to create the the situation where it does something yeah. that hurts us because that's just bad bad publicity for yeah, the seals. It's like the same with any wildlife, really. Like it's really difficult, I imagine, especially as a filmmaker, because you want to get that balance right between you're saying that these species are, you know, they're, they're not out to get you. Like a lot of people think you're just going to drop in the water with like a shark or something and it, it's like, ooh, humans here, I'm going to eat that straight away. Right. But also they are still wild animals and you need to sort of manage that. But also with a, yeah, with a bold, you know, that animal runs on, leopard seals run on curiosity and checking out new things. That's how they survive. Uh-huh. And imagine if we saw an alien in the street for the first time, uh-huh. we'd probably want to go and figure out what it was and you know I mean if you didn't have hands you, you, we'd want to maybe feel what it was like now I'm talking about touching up aliens that's weird image of like you running up to someone and just like smacking it with your face <laughs> right show me show me camera but yeah, yeah. that leopard seal probably never seen it no certainly had never seen a human underwater in its life and so what is going through its head and you've got mm-hmm. to it's your responsibility to manage that and actually the the best stuff um, that that Dan filmed, which is in the show, yeah. um, was uh, on a on a different dive. He got to, you know, we got to that point where it, it stopped paying attention into us and started doing its thing. Mm-hmm. And he got these amazing shots of it dancing around, you know, going after the chin strap penguins. And that's mm. that's what you want to get to is get through the curiosity stage, and then it's like, okay, you're boring. I don't want to play with you anymore. I'm going to go back to doing my day job of chasing penguins around. We've just talked about, like, you see everything in epic adventures. So you've also got, you know, the epic sort of wildlife scenes that you get in the Blue Chip series, but you also get to see you and your team behind the scenes, um, what it's like to film, like, the process of it. Um, So, like, why did you go down that direction as opposed to, you know, things like Blue Planet and where you kind of only really see the end product if that makes sense yeah uh so i guess uh yeah lucky enough to film on those types of series i uh, still still do now um and they are amazing because the 
the goal. I mean, like, like Epic Adventures is, is to film the wildlife at the very highest level. And uh, you just get the, so much time. You work with great people, amazing equipment. Da, da, da. Um, and so why did I go down the route of, I guess, Epic Adventures? I, I would say it's not a one or the other. I can still still do both. Um, but currently, most of my time is, is Epic Adventures because um, yeah, it's very busy. Um, and I think, you know, when I was working on those big blue chip series, you know, the Atomer mm-hmm. series, whenever my friends and family that weren't necessarily super interested in wildlife would see the show, the bit that they'd react to most was always the last 10 minutes. Yeah. It was always the bit when they see, you know, how you did it and what, what went into it. And I think there's a few reasons to why that's so engaging. One is that people are curious about how things get made. But I think also um, it provides a really good sense of scale. Like I could tell you that a fin whale was... You know, 27 meters long, but actually, I don't know any objects that are 27 meters long. There's like two buses, or you know, it's 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 like a weird concept where because we are you know two meters long as, as humans maximum, uh, unless you're really tall. Um, and so I think the moment you see a person in the shot, suddenly it's like, huh, yeah. they're really really big. I get that. So there's the sense of scale, um, and uh, I think also when you see a wildlife sequence, sometimes it can be quite disconnecting like most people have never been to the arctic and seen a polar bear but the moment you see a person the polar bear you're like okay cool i've got an idea of how big things are you know there's 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 context there's all those things but then the other things that allows us to do is we've just got way more time within the episode to unpack a behavioral sequence so we can go way more in depth into the 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 biology of of what's going on Mm -hmm. and most importantly we can talk about the you know the bigger environmental picture because those always involve people and you know blue chip you can't really have people on screen Mm -hmm. whereas we we can so i guess that's why i'm so passionate about doing epic adventures because we get to shine a light on all those things as well as the big behavior um and i think they're just different different tactics i guess and and the thing that i love as a presenter is that you get um a lot of uh editorial input you know usually when i'm filming on you know things like seven worlds or frozen planet 2 you're um you know you're uh you're hired on you go on the shoot it's great and then you hand over the footage at the end and then you're done um whereas this project you know in it from the from, from beginning to end which is a great learning experience but also having that editorial input is is really cool yeah, 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 really cool. And because it must be so good to like watch it back and think like I had so much, so much of a part in that as well, and kind of like molding the story as well as totally. And and I guess there's the there's the rewarding aspects of it, but also the learning aspects. Like when you see something, when you shoot something, and then you go into the edit, mm-hmm. and you see it in the edit, and you see the editor go, oh, I wish I had that shot, and you go huh, I never would have thought to film something from that angle or let the animal leave frame in that way or enter frame in that way or getting, you know, that perspective. And it makes you a better camera person because, you know, next time you're not just shooting something to, you know, cover it. You're shooting something for the editor. Like, you know, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm underwater or or topside or wherever is, okay, I've got that shot. It's long enough. I've got the animal entering frame. Let's get around the other side and get the other perspective. And da, 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 da. You're, you're building a sequence in your brain, yeah. which I think unless you've sat in loads of edits and seen what works and what doesn't work, you're, you're 
Mm-hmm. You're only going to be getting secondhand information from the director as to how to do that. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's like changing the way that you're like looking at things, even when you go you're back shooting backwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and another like aspect that you see in Epic Adventures is also you know not just the film crew, but like the scientists as well that you're working with and the local knowledge too. Like that's a really important part of it that a lot of people don't get to see. It's everything. <laughs> as a scientist who has been involved in like productions and stuff, like you're not often not part of it which is fine um but like can can you talk a little bit about why it was important to you to feature those scientists i mean one of them is actually one of our project leaders randall and um, so he he works with save our seas as well which is really awesome to see that um but yeah why was it important to you to feature those well there's a few reasons first i think science is just really important full stop for for reasons that we could talk about forever. Um, so getting that involved is, is really good. Uh, also, the, the science is usually the way that the, the environmental issue is best framed because it's the evidence that the animal is in trouble and the evidence that is required to mm-hmm. save that animal. So there's there's that. I think it's also an amazing way to shine a light on, on local voices because... Um, you know, as a white man filming wildlife, there's a lot of white men filming wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, this project allows us to, uh, you know, shine a light on on people all around the world and get them to tell us about their animals rather than us just parachuting in there, mm-hmm. blocking them out and making it all, all about the animals. Um, so that's that's a really cool thing that we're able to do. And I mean, in the case of Randall, he's uh, he's awesome with the the hammerheads uh, yeah. off of Costa Rica and yeah, getting his perspective and I learned a lot about how to get close to the sharks from from him so it's not just on screen it's practical things to to you know film these animals and as you say they're so so important and often the camera people the presenter get way too much credit we are often put in the right place um and and we just you know hit the record button and keep it in focus um so being able to yeah feature those people is, is really cool there's a lot of way that you guys can help us as well as scientists because Track and Ocean Giants, that's that's become a scientific paper, right? Yeah. I mean, without our boat and money, budget, yeah. you could not get scientists there that that year. Uh, and, and especially in on that type of vessel, that's not a vessel that, um, you know, scientists generally in Antarctica are working on the big vessels, which have are great for some things but are they're they're limiting in terms of being maneuverable and and quick and reactive especially with the whale gathering um and so yeah being able to to yeah have lee on the boat is is great and it works it works both ways both both parties are are winning um and yeah we've worked with uh with lee again as well on on uh on season two so yeah it's very cool one thing that helps us loads especially if we're working with animals in the water is just having the drones up so like when, right. when you're working with sharks like and you're looking for them it's so much easier to be like oh the drone's there it must be over the shark and just head that way mm-hmm. rather than try and figure out where the fin is when there's waves and things this is a shark podcast so there is a little bit i mean I'm good. There'll be links in the show notes as to how people can find the series and how they can watch it and everything. So I would highly encourage everybody to watch the full thing. Um, but I do have some questions, obviously, about Shark Island specifically, which is an amazing episode. Um, because one of the feature groups of animals of the episode is the sharks, uh, specifically the scalloped hammerhead. But there is a couple of different species that make an appearance as well. Um, so if you can indulge me a little bit, 
for the shark thing. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that episode? Yeah, so uh, there's an island off of Costa Rica. It's about 350 miles off the mainland, and it's called Cocos. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've ever seen uh, the Jurassic Park films, uh, Isla Nublar, which is in Jurassic Park, was based, it was actually filmed in Hawaii, that, that film, but mm-hmm. it was based off of, if you look geographically on the map of where it is, mm-hmm. it's basically where Cocos Island is. Um, and it's the closest thing to Jurassic Park I think I've seen. Uh, if you imagine very, very deep water, um, and then all of a sudden erupting, quite literally, because it's an ancient volcano that went off about two million years ago, I think, um, there's this big mountain uh, that comes up out of the water, and it's covered in jungle, just most of it impenetrable jungle, and it has loads of waterfalls that it's just magical and instead of having pterodactyls like in Jurassic Park yeah. uh, it has big frigate birds that look just like mini pterodactyls yeah. um, and uh, it's this amazing shark hotspot. it's got to be one of the top places in the world to see sharks specifically it's where scalloped hammerheads still gather in large numbers mm-hmm. not nearly as big a numbers as they used to and we can go into that um, oh, well. <laughs> yeah I'm sure we will um uh, and so that was really the main goal was to try and film, uh, you know, a big big gathering of, of scalloped hammerheads um, along with the other sharks that, that are there. And I think what's what's really cool about the island is uh, not only is it an amazing piece of you know, biology and it looks great, but it's got so much cool history um, because of its remoteness and the fact that uh, it's got loads of fresh water on it, which is actually quite rare for remote islands. Yeah. It was perfect for pirates. So pirates used to use it as a stop-off and dump all their treasure there. So it's thought that one of the biggest heists ever, um, the treasure of Lima, is buried on um, Cocos and no no one's found it. It's like $100 million. Did you try? uh, No, because it's not allowed anymore. Uh, but sense. I may have had an extra, you know, an extra couple drone flights that I didn't need to have. Um, I feel like if it was easy to find that and it was there, <laughs> someone would have found it. But maybe not. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it's like a, a pirate island surrounded by sharks with jungle all over it. It's like something out of a, I don't know, a fairy tale. Or, yeah, or yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is, um, it, looks, it looks incredible. It looks, like a, it looks like a movie set that's been designed. It does. And, and yeah. actually to come up from a dive where you've seen loads of sharks, mm-hmm. you know, normally, often your, your, your dive locations are not necessarily close to land and you get in the boat and, you know, that's it. But mm-hmm. to, to surface from seeing hammerhead sharks and then to see a giant jungle-covered island with a waterfall boring into the sea, you're like, where am I? How is this a real thing? I mean, you definitely hit the nail on the head with the title of the show. Like, it is, like, everything in it is really epic, especially <laughs> There's only, like, there's only a couple of words that you can use to describe it. Like, it's it's very, very cool. Um, but as someone that works, like, in shock science and conservation, and, like, the whole team have said this before, is that it's, it's really awesome to see an episode that the sharks aren't the scary thing in that episode. Um, so the scary thing, I think, is a the fact that it's a it's struggle to find them and film them close up, and also the currents there are pretty gnarly, right? Yeah, and actually, what's annoying about currents is that they're very. It's a bit like bad weather in a boat. It's very hard to show. And so they make you look totally incompetent <laughs> because your shots are wobbly and you're flying all over the place. But actually, they never look that bad. Um, and <laughs> The, I think the only shot that yeah. kind of does justice to it is you see my bubbles drift sideways when I breathe out rather than going up. Yeah. Um, but even still, it's it's so hard to do that justice. Um, 
And uh, yeah, it's so annoying. Uh, it's so frustrating when, when you're, I remember there's a, a dive site there called Alcyon, which is world famous. It's a seamount. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you sit, we were sat about 30 meters uh, on the rebreathers and there was an absolutely pumping current going over the top of this seamount. Mm-hmm. So it's just a big, yeah, a big mountain that comes up out, out the deep. Mm-hmm. I think it com- comes from 2,000 meters or 1,000 meters up to 26 meters, I think, is the top of the tip. And we were at about oh, yeah. 30, 35. And we sat there, and there's just sharks everywhere. And you're trying to film, and you can't hold the shot still because, you know, you want to put one hand down to steady yourself, but you need two hands on the camera. And, ah, oh, yeah. I remember one time the current kind of took me, uh, and I sort of was just on my back, because I, I held the shot to the very last minute rather than catching myself. Uh-huh. I was just literally on my back with my fins and the camera in my hand. And I remember looking up at Hugh, who I was diving with, and he just looked at me shaking his head like, you amateur. <laughs> kind of like a little trainee. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, ah, I promise I'm good at this. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like as a lot of our listeners will be divers, so like when they see that scene, they'll be able to understand but, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough place, tough place to dive. Yeah. yeah, and there's like real safety concerns as well because if you get if you get pulled out and you're too far away from the boat and the boat can't see you, it can't pick you up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the next, I think the next land is the Philippines. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's quite a long Free way. Holiday. That's quite a long way to drift. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's big pumping current, and also especially at somewhere like um, uh, Alcyon, you're. It's it's offshore. It's not right next to the island. Uh, unfortunately, there's a there's actually a rope there on one of the there's like a buoy that goes to the surface mm-hmm. um, that you can follow the line up. Mm-hmm. But if you leave the reef at 26 meters, mm-hmm. you know you've got to take time to go up because of all of the yeah. you know safety stuff with diving. Um, and so if you're not there by the you know if you're not paying attention to where you are and the vis is bad so you can't see what's below you, mm-hmm. by the time you actually get to the surface you could be a very, very long way from where the boat thinks you are. Um, uh, And so, yeah, we take the safety really seriously. And we all carry these little things called Nautilus lifelines. It's like a little locator beacon. Um, And, uh, yeah, if you get to the surface and you're in trouble, you press a button and it sends a ping to the boat as to where you are. But that's if it works. Um, But it's, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, but the sharks sharks aren't a scary thing, which is great. And you do... You talk about overfishing uh, right from the beginning of the episode, which, you know, biggest threat facing sharks, especially scalloped hammerheads, critically endangered species. Um, and you even see one with a hook. Yeah, we saw, lo- we saw loads of sharks with hooks. And you think those are actually the lucky ones that got mm-hmm. caught and managed to break off. Yeah, um, but do you think that... So obviously there's still a lot of tropes used when sharks are featured, like even... That's annoying. Even in, in like natural history film, it's changing a lot now. Um, but do you think do you do you think there's still the narrative around sharks needs to change kind of in storytelling? And if so, like what narrative do you think it needs to be? I think that there's a big there's a big range, right? And and we I don't you know scalloped hammerheads heads are different. Uh, yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna try and munch you. Um, but you know in the we also have to recognize that they are big, powerful predators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those tiger sharks there have killed people in the past. So we're not going to turn around and go, oh, it's very noisy um, in a city. Um, they, they have, so we, you know, we can't turn around and go, oh, this is all fine. You know, 
seeing a tiger shark in poor visibility when it's hunting things at the surface is intimidating and I don't think we, we should shy away from that because no, that's yeah. engaging and, and, and gripping and the truth um, I think what doesn't what isn't right to do is to say that that shark is is out to get us it's not trying to eat people people taste rubbish I imagine um, uh, yeah so I think it's in the show we're lucky in that we can unpack uh, mm-hmm. the nuance of it because it's not black and white exactly. um, and so we can say that you know those sharks are hunting birds at the surface that are falling off of that cliff mm-hmm. and so you know if you're at the surface you need to be really careful yeah, and actually one one scene that mm-hmm. um, we took out the film um, because uh, I felt it w- we didn't have time to explain the nuance of it was uh, so we have a SMB surface marker boy mm-hmm. that we would deploy every time uh, we were on our safety stop so coming up from from the dive mm-hmm. and it would mark our position for the boat to come pick us up and Cristiano one of the uh, amazing guides experts that we had there uh, on the end of one of our dives sent up his surface marker boy and a tiger shark huge female came flying up out the deep and she smashed into it and she went <laughs> shredded it and swam off the nuance of that is that it was a perfect demonstration of what that shark is trying to do it's patrolling that cliff waiting for baby chicks frigate bird chicks and booby chicks to fall out their nests onto the surface and it rockets up out the deep before that chick can take off if it can take off and hit it so it saw this thing fly up you know hit the surface and splash which is what it does when you inflate them Mm -hmm. and it went came up and it smashed it now there wasn't time in the film to really explain exactly what happened and so it would be all too easy to paint that as a shark attack and we felt that actually that wasn't going to do the shark or the narrative any favors so why not just leave it out and focus on the what the sharks are doing um and so yeah i think it's important with sharks to there's the i guess the what what's the story around them but you know what you don't put in the film is just as important as Mm -hmm. what you put in the film because it's it's nuanced it's not I didn't explain no, that badly, no, but yeah. No, 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 it's perfect because I was going to, I'm glad you brought up the tiger sharks. I was going to ask about that element because it's a really good example of how to do that, is how to show the nuance because you talk about the fact that you've got to consider them um, when you're going in the water. You've got to manage your behaviour to minimise the chance that they're going to mistake you for something else. Right, we're not going to pretend that they're not potentially dangerous because they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the point is that they're not trying to hunt people is a case of mistaken identity and it's our responsibility not theirs to not put ourselves in a situation where they can mistake us yeah exactly and species that is trying to hunt the other is humans trying to hunt sharks and you talk about that you talk about the extent of overfishing and everything and you also you do that throughout the series you talk about a lot of big complex issues that are affecting the natural world but it's overall the series is really is really positive and there's a lot of messages of hope especially in the first episode as well um but you know you and i like we work in the wild you more so than me and um, you're out there most of the time um and how we're obviously seeing change in real time like it's really it's happening really fast now and um, so how does it feel like as a filmmaker like experiencing that while you're actually out in the field? I mean, getting really dark for a second. (laughs) I mean, the sharks are, you know, we've been lucky that there's lots of positive good news stories. 
-hmm. in the series, like the whales coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the case of the hammerhead sharks, I remember after we saw the gathering of hammerheads, and that was one of the craziest things I've seen. It's probably 100 hammerheads all together. Big, big wall of hammerheads. Mm -hmm. I got out being like, that was just crazy. And Cristiano, the guy that I just mentioned with the SMB that got chomped, um, he said... I don't want to, you know, uh, make this too negative because what you've seen is amazing. But I'd just like to show you some pictures. And it was a shame we didn't figure out a way of getting this in the show. I, again, it's nuanced and challenging. But mm-hmm. he brought uh, his iPad over with a bunch of pictures that he took like 15, 20 years ago from exactly the same dive site. And instead of there being 100 hammerheads in frame, there were hundreds, maybe even a 1,000 in the frame. Uh, and it was could recognize the reef it was the same bit we were sat on um and what i think was most moving about that was it was just so clear like Mm -hmm. that was before this is now Mm -hmm. and then it was like well what's this place going to be like in 20 years now if we keep going the way we're going there's going to be next to nothing there um and that's really depressing and sad so it, it, it was almost more moving because it was like we're seeing something that I'm going to be telling stories about not being able to go see it again or you know say oh go see this thing like it's going to be a thing that we tell stories about and that's really sad it must be I mean I feel it on a much smaller scale than you but like when you see change like that happening like obviously I work with sharks um, it's it is very depressing, but also you can't you can't make a whole series like that because then people are going to leave feeling a bit like... No, well, you've got to focus on the positivity and the positives are there's people like Randall uh-huh. who has been yeah. flying the flag for a long time. He's amazing um, how he keeps going and he makes wins. You know, he, he uh, advocates for changes in fishing practices. Um, he is, you know... They're, they're setting up you know these marine corridors currently I think they set them up in the wrong place um, so he's working now to move them um, uh, and and that is all things that are positive and we could we should celebrate because that is a way to to solve the issue um, but yeah as I said the, I should say that the series doesn't focus on the doom and the gloom it doesn't it makes no. people aware of it <laughs> yeah. and I think it's really important to focus on the positives and what is really exciting is that there are lots of places around the world where there's examples of how actually the good news is that although we've trashed the natural world in loads of places the good news is that well i guess i'm going to complicate this wouldn't it be really awful if you know humans have trashed the natural world and it took ages for it to come back everywhere Uh or it was really hard to make it come back it's not wildlife's really good at fixing its you know fixing itself if you give it the chance Mm -hmm. and that's really exciting you give it the chance and it'll come back Mm -hmm. um it would be a real problem if it didn't um (laughs) and 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 so yeah i mean in the case of the 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 fin whales in antarctica that's one of the few examples i say this at the end of the episode it's one of the few examples of looking at something yeah everywhere i go Mm -hmm. the the cristiano the guide goes oh yeah what you've seen is amazing but you should have seen what it was like 20 years ago well, in Antarctica, if you went to that place 20 years ago, that didn't happen. Yeah, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And and how cool would that be if we could go to way more places around the world having turned turned it around? And it's totally doable. But that's something that the series does really well. Like, you don't leave it feeling 
sad or like you feel really uplifted and positive and you've learned a lot through the environmental messages and everything but like I think your enthusiasm is like is so infectious and like all the people that you work with as well that you see in the series like so you do leave it feeling you know very positive and I get the sense that that was definitely like a deliberate decision for that to be the the whole mood of the series. I uh... Deliberate decision implies that it wasn't, and if there were options to do it other ways, like I'm not, a, I'm not a doom and gloom person. This I got pretty dark with the sharks. Um, but no, no, Ooh, good pun. I like it. Well done. Um, uh, yeah. So I think it is important to focus on on the good stuff because that's uh, exciting and empowering, and yeah, that's I think what drives people to get up out of bed and do stuff is that you can you can make a difference this is an advice question because we are at wild screen um but you said before that you often get asked how to start as a wildlife film wildlife filmmaker and obviously there isn't a specific route in so that's quite a hard question to answer so i thought i'd make it a little bit more specific um but from quite early on in your career you've sort of pitched shows before and um, do you have any advice for anyone sitting at home who has like an idea a seed of an idea in their head or they're kind of ready to sort of go into that who's wanting to pitch it to like a network or a funder who's kind of like at that stage because I think that's the really that's the hard yeah bit. so the most important thing is that if you're pitching an idea is it just a pitch is it just an idea or have you already done it because if you've already done it Mm -hmm. then it's not you know you you're asking someone to basically roll the dice on you right yeah and if you're making a bet i'm not a gambling person but from what i understand if you're (laughs) if you're making a bet you want to bet on something that you think is going to win yeah and so the more evidence you can provide that shows that what they're doing is not a gamble Mm -hmm. It's you know the the better, and so to just say I've got this great idea, I can do this, 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 and this. What do you think? It's like well, you. Why would they say yes to that if it's just an idea? Like that's crazy. Now, of course, there's there's like nuance to this. So if if you want to do something, you know, uh, the, in the deep sea, you're going to need a submarine and loads of, loads of cash. You can't just go do that to prove that it's doable, yeah. but. It's more proof of concept. Think outside the box. What are things you can do? So, for example, if you've decided that you want to make a show about lions and you, you know, not everyone lives next door to lions, so you need you know, funding and resources to go do that, well, you don't have to make a thing about lions, but if you live down the road from some deer or a badger or a fox, go make a show about that. Everyone has a camera on their phone you know, or any type of camera equipment, everyone has a broadcasting platform that is free, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Go out and do it and then show the, show what you've done. Like, why should the commissioner or the person you're pitching to need to go and do loads of work or figure out if your idea is a thing or not? Show them what you've already done. Like, I often get asked, oh, how do I be, you know, a wildlife camera person? Oh, no, they say, um, can, we, can we work together? And I go... Yeah, great. Like, show me what you've done. Oh, I haven't. I haven't filmed any wildlife yet. It's like, why not? Mm. Like, everyone has a camera in their pocket. We live in this amazing age where there's there's wildlife, 
you know, you can go see. Even if you live in a city, sure, cities aren't great places for what, for most species. Mm-hmm. But Bristol here, you know, 200 metres from this room is the peregrine falcon, the fastest animal on earth. Like, yeah. go film that. Like, go do <laughs> things. Don't wait for someone to hand you a, an opportunity. Yeah. Um, because then it's much easier for someone to hand you an opportunity mm-hmm. if they know, wow, this person's got drive and work ethic and thinks outside the box. This is no longer a real big gamble. This is gonna. This is gonna do it. So that would be the big thing. Is yes, you need the backing and mentorship of people mm-hmm. at, at some point. But there are so many things you can do. Don't sit around waiting for someone to hand you a golden yeah. ticket because it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So if you can be, I would argue, if you can be creative and make something interesting to do with city wildlife, way more impressive. Yeah, that whoever you're trying to show it to is going to be like, okay, like they actually know what they're doing. I remember last yeah. wild screen. Or maybe it was a Jackson. Someone showed me a. Uh, they said, "Oh, can I show you this this film I've been working on?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Here we go. It's going to be I don't know something about the the lions they saw on holiday or something." Yeah. And it was a film all about a pigeon that nested on this person's <laughs> this person's windowsill, and it was amazing. And I was like, "Wow, you have made that engaging. So you're going to find." actually you know filming other things really Uh straightforward i have this thing called the pigeon test so when we're um uh when we're uh figuring out if a story is good or not if a behavior is good Uh you have to think okay does this story pass the pigeon test if you were to swap the animal that you want to film for a pigeon Uh would it still be interesting that's a very good test because if it's just you know lots of people sharks is a great example there are loads of shark shows that just film sharks swimming. Yeah. So if you swapped it, I mean, a pigeon swimming, that's a bad example because a pigeon swimming would be quite cool. Be but a pigeon, if it's just a pigeon walking along, would you watch it? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Well, okay, but let's break this down. In the case of the shark episode, mm-hmm. big gathering of pigeons, big gathering of hammers of sharks, suddenly I'm, I'm more interested. What if it's really hard to get close to the pigeons? Huh, suddenly, suddenly it starts to get more interesting. What um, if a pigeon gives you a stealth boop? Exactly, that would be pretty terrifying. Pigeon that big, whoa! Um, it would be freaky. Yeah, or, or the pigeons are you know hunting near the surface, waiting for you know birds to fall out their nest. You know, suddenly it's 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 a good gauge. It's not a hard and fast rule because you can also rely on the majesty of an animal that's very rare and hard to, hard to film. <laughs> But it's a good test. Certainly with animal test. behavior, pigeon test. Absolutely. So there you go. There's some inside inside tips to the pigeon test. Go out and do it and pigeon test. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was brilliant. But if I do have one final question for you, um, and it's a really, really super serious one. Um, oh, dear. I'm going to go very deep. <laughs> if you could be any species of shark, ray, or skate in the world, what would you be and why? Oh, wow. That's a question. <laughs> Um, uh, one species okay so I would be something that probably can't get eaten easily because living in fear would be quite well you know if I'm a human pretending to be a shark here Um, so I don't think I'd be something small that gets eaten lots Okay. Uh, would I be a whale shark I feel like swimming around the oceans with your mouth open, filter feeding might be might be a bit dull. Maybe I'll be a basking shark because you're gonna go basking shark over whale shark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Definitely. What's your reason? Um, 
Well, actually, but, um, whale sharks, kind of warmer water, that sounds quite That's lovely. What I was well, I think I'd be, I think I'd be basking shark mainly because so little is known about me. I mean, very little is known about whale sharks, but so little is known about basking sharks. Mm-hmm. If I shut my mouth, I look like a great white. This is true. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. You can freak people out. Yeah, but without being actually a great white. Mm-hmm. Um, so filter feeding, uh, that'd be cool. And what else? I mean, where they hang out, cool. They've got these amazing migrations. And also, you know that new uh, study that showed that they like hold hands? You know, they bump their little peck fins together. Yes. That sounds quite nice, swimming around, you know, <laughs> holding hands with your friends. Um, and imagine being in a shark in one of those shark carousels you know mm, that, that sounds cool. cool and they can jump out of the water despite the fact that no one no thinks they can you know some, yeah. some, some sharks you're like oh I back you to be able to you know thresh a shark you see it you're like you're more than capable of jumping out of the water whereas a basking shark you're like that's never going to happen you, and it does it does but did you see one breach when you were with us yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the most ungraceful thing I don't know it just like flops over it's not about style points it's about maximum height that is true anyway I'm not going to keep you any longer because I know you have to run off and do all kinds of other exciting things but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on the podcast we very much appreciate it and yeah so exciting uh, to see because I've known you for like what two years now so to actually see like the end product come out is really cool and it's been really successful and it, I'm very happy for you. So. Oh, that's very kind. Well, good to, good to chat. And uh, yeah, if you want to watch the series on Disney+, Plus, uh, it's called Epic Adventures. I um, hope you enjoy it. Cool. Thanks, Bertie. Cheers. This podcast was brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It was hosted and edited by me, Isla Hodgson. Our beautiful artwork is by Nicola Poulos and the wonderful jingle that you can hear right now is by David Knight. A enormous thank you to Bertie for making time for us. He's a very busy guy at the moment, so we very much appreciated him taking the time to chat. As I said in the intro, Epic Adventures with Bertie Gregory is streaming now on Disney+. Plus. And a massive thank you to you at home for listening. As always, you can get in touch by emailing isla at saveourseas.com or via our social media. We are at Save Our Seas Foundation on Instagram and at Save Our Seas on Twitter. Alrighty, have a awesome week and we will see you next time. <laughs>